Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. Well, we have a special guest that's going to be sharing with us today. And I met uh, Kelly Shackelford about a year ago, and he is with Liberty First, the largest nonprofit legal organization fighting for liberty and fighting for us in the nation. And he's going to share with us how we're winning. Kelly Shackelford. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Uh, today will be a little different. Uh, God sent me to sort of be a scout from the front lines in the battle for religious freedom in America. And so that's kind of what I'm going to do. If you wonder a, a great place to go back and read after this in the Bible, I would say go and read the first chapter of Joshua, Joshua 1, where God over and over again tells the Israelites, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Now, they were about to enter the promised land. But they had to be reminded. And I think, as you see, when I talk about what I'm talking about, this is the time for the church to be strong and courageous. Uh, there are some incredible opportunities. And so let me start with the basics. What is First Liberty Institute? We're the largest legal organization in the country that all we do is religious freedom. So let's say you're Gabriela Perez, a five-year-old girl, and you're caught praying over your meal. Or let's say you're the 35 Navy SEALs we're representing, which you might have heard about that case. You, and you're being persecuted for your faith. You don't have money to go and hire the best attorneys in the country. So we bring the best attorneys in the country. So when we did uh, go in and represent Gabriela Perez, and as we're representing these seals, and as we won the case for Gabriela, we didn't just win for her. We set a precedent that protects all of our kids and our grandkids. And when we win for these seals, and we will win for these seals, we'll protect every person who serves us in the military. Now, how did, how did I get involved in this? Back when I was in high school, I knew my gifts were in analytical thinking and speaking. And so I th thought I either need to be a pastor or a lawyer. And my friend said, that's like a God or Satan choice, isn't it, to be a pastor or a lawyer? And uh, I analyzed my DNA and I said, you know, I think I would do better at dispensing justice rather than mercy, so I'd probably make a better lawyer. So I went to law school and got out, clerked for a federal judge. You do that for one year, you sort of help them research and write opinions. And at the end of that, you can kind of name your job because all the big law firms want you to come work there because you know what it's like to sit on the other side of the bench. You know what's persuasive and what's not. So I had all these nice offers and I just sat in my little clerk's office and I thought, I just feel like I'd suffocate if I went to do that. I don't think I'd, God's calling me to do that. And I remember thinking, well, what do you want to do? And I thought, well, I want to use my legal skills because God's shown me that I should do that. But I want to help pastors and churches and religious freedoms and our founding principles. And I'd like, even like to go to seminary part-time. And I laughed because there was no paying job to do that in the United States. Two weeks later, two guys called me. Never met these guys in my life partners with major national law firms. They said, will you go to lunch with us? And I said, sure. And they said, we started donating our time for religious freedom, and we're getting so many calls now, it's hurting our ability to make a living. So we were wondering, would you be willing to come on and do legal cases and help churches and pastors and religious freedoms? 
And you can even go to seminary part-time if you want to. Now, being in my young, mid-20s, maybe a little immature in my faith, I said, let me pray about it, like that wasn't the answer to prayer. And uh, 32 years ago, we started a nonprofit, and now First Liberty is the largest legal organization in the country that all we do is religious freedom. It was something that God knew needed to be created. Now, one of the places I like to start when I'm talking about what I'm going to talk about is, is why is religious freedom important? People of faith tend to think, yeah, I know it's important. Uh, I want to have the ability to share my faith. I want to have the ability to live my life. But it's so much bigger than that. Um, when you lose religious freedom, incredible evil comes into your society. Okay, And we're starting to see this, right? As Marxism begins to seep in to our country, the attacks on religious freedom come and it's, it's a battle. Uh, there's a great book out, if you haven't read it, called Live Not By Lies by Rod Dreher. And he goes and he interviews people from four, uh, former communist countries, Czechoslovakia, the former Soviet Union, uh, Poland, a number of places. And to a person, every one of them say they're terrified at what they're seeing in the United States. And they say, look, uh, when Marxism has to remove the church because they're competing ideologies. And so when you see it come in, the first thing that happens in the Soviet Union is they killed all the priests. Okay, this is what you see in all these countries. And so the question is, what do you do about this? And the answer was, live not by lies. Alexander Solzhenitsyn's last essay before he was banned from the Soviet Union was that, look, these totalitarian regimes only exist because everybody goes along with the lies. But if enough people, not a majority, just enough people will stand and speak the truth, they'll suffer, but the system collapses. And this book tells the story of how country after country after country that's exactly what happened. And so this is why religious freedom, our founders called it our first freedom. Because they understood if you lose this freedom, you will lose all your freedoms. The best way I can describe this is the one thing that totalitarianism will never allow are citizens who hold an allegiance to one higher than the government. So whenever that type of oppression starts to come in, the first flashpoint will always be religious freedom. And if you lose there, you'll lose everything. So how are we doing as a country? Since this is the barometer for all of our freedoms, how are we doing in religious freedom? Well, I, I probably don't have to convince you. you we're in a war. Uh, 12 years ago, we had 48 cases. Last year, we had over 700. Okay? The battle is huge and what's going on in our country. And I think most people are aware of that. I don't have to go too far back. Let's look at the pandemic. What happens when all these mayors, governors, elected officials got power they'd never had in their lifetime. What was the flashpoint? It was religious freedom. It was churches and synagogues being shut down across the country. The liquor store was open, the Home Depot was open, but you couldn't go to church. Evidently COVID was especially dangerous in a church, but not in Home Depot. One hour on Sunday, really not allowed, even with social distancing, but thousands of people interacting and, and you know, day to day, that was okay. So we knew this was gonna be a major battle and we knew how difficult this would be. There's no precedent in the history of our country on is there religious freedom in a pandemic? Is there First Amendment rights in a pandemic? And we knew that if we go into a court and you're a federal judge and on one side is a governor saying, I'm trying to save millions of people's lives. And on the other side is a church saying, we wanna open on Sunday. How hard is that for that judge to say, well, I don't wanna risk you know, people's lives. 
So we knew that that was difficult. So we prayed. We had hundreds and hundreds of churches and synagogues saying, you won't believe what they're doing to us. But we prayed and we waited. And almost two years ago now, we finally got a call from On Fire Christian Church. This is a church that they really wanted to figure out a way to be together for Easter and be safe. So they came up with the idea, we'll just drive in the church parking lot. And we'll have the minister speak over a radio frequency where we can all watch. And I'm no CDC expert, but of course, I don't know how much the CDC is an expert. <laughs> but I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't pass the coronavirus from one automobile to another. <laughs> but the city told them that that would be a crime and that they would criminally prosecute everybody who showed up in the church parking lot. And then the governor said that on Easter weekend, that they were going to send police officers to every church across the state. They were going to write down any license plates and any person who had their car in the church parking lot on Easter weekend would be visited at their home by police and they would be quarantined for 14 days. At that point, we said, okay, we're now in China. This is the case, right? And so we filed uh, a, fa and again, I want you to think about what we're seeing visually at this time. Visually, what we're seeing on TV is a father throwing a baseball in the park, being handcuffed for being in a park. A guy coming off the beach all by himself with a surfboard being arrested, right? And everybody's wondering, has the Constitution been suspended? And we didn't know. And so this was, we called this the second shot heard around the world. So we went in, we got a judge by the name of Judge Justin Walker, and we filed on Good Friday, and we said, we want to meet on Easter. This judge looked at this and wrote one of the most powerful decisions. You have to go read it. If you get, you'll understand it. Even if you're not a lawyer, go back and read this opinion. He starts off by saying, I feel like I'm reading a dystopian novel. This is not America. A city in the United States is criminalizing an Easter gathering. And he goes on to 20 pages of the history of our country, how it was built on religious freedom. And he said, look, this is irrational, it's unreasonable, and this will never happen as long as I'm a federal judge in the United States of America. And he issued an injunction saying, this church will open on Easter. <clears throat> now, that's a victory, and it was a really important victory, but our job and our goal wasn't to get people into their church parking lots. So our next case was Tabernacle Baptist Church. I think we have a picture of that church. This is a church in a rural area, which we picked on purpose. Very few COVID cases at the time. Big facility, plenty of room, and yet it was a crime for them to open. It wasn't a crime for the liquor store to open, for, you know, all, for the Walmart to open, for any of the other, but it was a crime for them to open. So we filed a lawsuit and we said, defend yourself. The governor in the first hearing, they had no rationale for how they could treat people differently like this, especially the church, which has extra protection. And by the time we were finished with this case, not only had we won an injunction for this church, but the African-American attorney general joined us, Daniel Cameron, great guy, in suing his own governor on behalf of every other church in the state, and we ended up with a statewide injunction protecting every church across the state. 
So, but I wish I could tell you this is over. It's not over. We never got a case to the Supreme Court on the merits. You had emergency motions. And so we're literally still in a battle right now over whether the government controls our churches and our synagogues. So this is the battle we're in. But the, the attacks are not just COVID attacks. We got attacks on churches across the country. Um, example, I think I've got a picture of the Canaan Baptist Church. Uh, this is a church that just wanted to build their sanctuary. The city came and said, well, we're taking your, your land here. Well, why are you taking our land? We're going to build our sanctuary there because we want to build a fire station there. There's a fire station across the street. Yeah, but we like your property a little better. It's a small African-American church, not a lot of money. They thought they'll just do what they want to do. Well, we brought, until we brought in top litigators in the country to represent the church, and the city decided maybe they didn't want that property after all. And in fact, they're, they're now naming the sanctuary after our attorneys who donated uh, their time on the case. It's kind of a neat ending. But we're having to defend the ability to just have a sanctuary. We've got synagogues we're representing across the country. In Irvine, we've got a synagogue. We've had 12 different lawsuits we've had to defend them in. They just want to meet, okay? It's incredible the attacks on uh, houses of worship and just the ability to be a church or be a synagogue, things we didn't used to have to fight for. Okay, we've got attacks on religious organizations. I think most of you know about the OSHA case, right? About when the, when the president decided he would issue an edict and just take over every company in the country that had 100 more employees and then tell them what they would do. They would fire people if they wouldn't get vaccinated, right? I mean, we don't live in that kind of a country, okay? We don't have a dictatorship where the dictator issues an edict and takes over all of our companies. That's not the way it works. But what most people didn't realize is that included every religious organization with 100 or more employees, okay? Every church with 100 or more employees. And so we filed the day that went into effect and said, this is not gonna happen in the United States of America. We filed on behalf of different religious organizations. Within days, we had an injunction. And you probably now know it ended up going to the Supreme Court, that OSHA mandate, was totally enjoined, it never went into effect, and it is over, the emergency motion to take over all these companies. But again, we're having to fight for the right of a religious organization to not be taken over by the president just by a stroke of the pen, by saying, hey, I want one of my agencies to take you over. These are the kind of things, uh, it's schools. Okay, you've seen all these attacks in the schools. Probably a, a great example for us is uh, Elizabeth Turner, valedictorian, won the right to give her valedictory address, which is a personal farewell. That's what valedictory address means. And they said, uh, you can give your remarks, but there's something inappropriate in your remarks that you can't. Well, what's that? Well, you say, you, you talk about God and Jesus. You're not allowed, that's inappropriate. Excuse me, I mean, how many of you have heard a valedictory address that's political, that's opinionated, that's, I mean, that's the whole point, right? <laughs> say what they want. Well. She couldn't talk about Jesus. Well, she wasn't valedictorian because she was stupid, okay? So she called us, and she said, this doesn't seem right. We said, you are right. And by the time we were finished, she not only got up and gave her valedictory address and mentioned Jesus and God, but instead of just her audience she was gonna get, Fox News carried it so it was seen by a much larger audience across the country. <laughs> We've got attacks from all these woke corporations that are attacking people which is a false religion. These woke corporations are really anti-Christian. Um, the only difference in it being a religion is at least religions allow people freedom to pick them or not, right? And so the problem has been getting after them. 
you know, finding the right cases or any way to hold them responsible because people are just being victimized by these woke corporations. So we have, we, we think it's going to be a great case for this, and that is um, we have uh, Alaska Airlines case. Alaska Airlines sent out, uh, I don't know if you know, I think we've got a picture of, of Lacey, who's one of our uh, clients in this, but they, the Equality Act is one of the most outrageous pieces of legislation being proposed you've ever seen. It is a federal uh, uh, legislation that would strip religious freedoms from every American in any situation where there's an LGBT issue. And Alaska Airlines thought this was just great. And so they said to their employees, we really love this legislation. We'd love for you to, to get behind it. And they said, we would love your feedback. So two of the flight attendants uh, didn't even know each other, just were both believers, sent in, hey, you know, I've got feedback. I'm really concerned about this. This could take away freedoms of my church. This could have religious freedoms issues. So what did they do? They fired them. So they want your feedback, but if you have Christian feedback, you're fired. Okay? Now, you can do a lot of things in America, but you can't fire people because you don't like their religious beliefs. So... We, we are going to uh, use this case, and our goal is not just to win for Lacey and the other flight attendants. It's to leave a mark on Alaska Airlines that sends a message to every other corporation that you don't do this to people in the United States of America. <clears throat> and we've even had to open up a whole division just for military uh, we did this a number of years ago because of the attacks of people and their faith in the military. I mean, these are people who are fighting for our freedoms, and the idea that we would take theirs away is really inexcusable. And probably, again, one of the most well-known cases right now uh, is the Navy SEALs case we have. We represent 35 Navy SEALs. These are the best of the best. Uh, they've given 350 years of service, uh, some of them suffering from PTSD and other things because of what they've done for us. And there is a right under federal law specifically requiring the military, if somebody says, hey, we want you to take the jab, and they say, you know, I've got a religious objection, I wonder if I could seek a religious accommodation. For asking for that accommodation, which is their right to ask for under the law, they're all being punished, okay? One of them, he has PTSD. They called the medical facility and said, don't see him or treat him until he gets the jab. This is the kind of things they're doing. They're threatening their families, we said, that's wrong, okay? It's a violation of the law. We love our military, but the last thing we can ever allow happen is the military to think they don't have to follow the laws of the United States of America. So we filed a federal lawsuit, and we got a judge, a great judge. He issued an injunction saying, you don't touch these guys, and what you're doing is against the Constitution. He said, there is no COVID exception to the United States Constitution. We discovered during the hearing and during the lawsuit already that the whole religious exemption uh, requirements, which they're supposed to go through, is a sham. They're not following them. Uh, the judge said that in the lawsuit, and this was the Navy, because uh, these are Navy SEALs. So we have now asked for a class action expansion where this will cover every single person who serves us in the Navy. And our goal eventually is to protect every single person in the military from the kind of abuse that's happening right now. And we're even seeing attacks on people just for sharing the gospel. Um, probably one of my favorite uh, uh, clients over the past few years is Gail Blair. Gail's uh, a woman who slowly was going blind. 
And as she was doing that, she realized that the most important thing to her was that people hear about Jesus. So she thought, well, you know, I used to be a nurse. I used to have interaction. How do I, how do, I do that? And she realized, well, I'm, I'm in an apartment across the street from the park. So every day with her cane, she finds her way across the street into the park. She sits at a bench hoping somebody will sit near. And when somebody does, she talks to them and she offers them a copy of the Gospel of John. She did that until she was banned for two years from being in the park or the library for talking about her faith. So this is a little three-minute video I want you to watch on Gail Blair and her case. Nursing was it for me. It was my identity. I did everything. If I could help them get a job or an apartment, my husband says that I am a um, frustrated social worker. <laughs> January 7th, 1984, I actually had been going to a Bible study on the book of John, and uh, it opened my heart to the Word of God being the answer, the truth. It was the best day of my life. I actually was born with a genetic disorder, retinitis pigmentosa, and I still continued nursing until I couldn't anymore because of my vision loss. If somebody says, if ever said to me, hey, you could have your eyesight, but you have to, you know, get rid of Jesus, I'd say, no, no deal. Wherever I go, I try to hand this out to people. So it's 21 chapters of the gospel. I get around with my cane to cross the street to go in the park. Going into a park to uh, talk with people is a pleasure, first of all, but knowing that eternal life is real and people don't know that they're in danger, people have been saved in the park. I've had more of a reaction from the staff on, in the park that was not too nice, uh, like they would interrupt me. There's plenty of people to talk to. I don't have to be um, going after anybody. I couldn't. It would be a tripping hazard for me. I was sitting on a bench with a man that I was conversing with. The executive director comes over and he says that he was gonna call the police. And uh, that's the start of um, the two-year ban, even from the library, which that was a little bit of a surprise to me, that they would ban me from both the park and the library. I'm passing out one of the 66 books of the Bible that you have in your library that people can check out. I guess my heart is broken, uh, that I can't do what the Lord has told me to do. So if you want to say that, I, I think about daily the lost souls. I think the Lord has positioned me right across from the park. It, it's a divine uh, assignment that I absolutely need to fulfill. It's, it's just a must. So, some of you are saying, boy, thanks Rob and Rick for inviting the depressing speaker to hear about all the bad cases. So let, let me tell you the good news. 
The good news is we have a method of dealing with these, and we've been doing it for decades, and it's very successful. And that is, if you were to look at a normal legal nonprofit, I don't care if they're left-wing or right-wing or what their issue is. Their model is raise as much money as you can, hire as many attorneys as you can with that, put them in an office in D.C. or L.A. or New York, and fly them around and cover as many cases you'd cover. That's not our model. Our model is there's all these believers who went to law school because they wanted to stand for what was right. 30 years later, these are the best litigators at the best law firms in the country, really the best law firms in the world. And they've done honorable work for their clients, major corporations, et cetera, but they've never gotten to do a case for the kingdom. We go and sit down with those people and we say, look, if we give you everything you need, top lawyers on our staff, all from the top law schools, that all they do is religious freedom, a, a media division that'll cover all the media stuff that's gonna come, everything else, if we give you what you need, are you willing to give your time on one of these cases? They're like, man, I've been waiting my whole life. Sign me up. Well, you can imagine what happens when for the first time in their life, all their talent, all their gifts, all their training, everything they've ever learned is lined up with their faith. They've never felt that before. And it's kind of unfair, but we now know we have them for the rest of their lives as one of our volunteer attorneys. <laughs> and they're the big partner, and they give cover to the younger attorneys. They get to taste of what this is like. And so if you were to go through the top 100 law firms in the United States, you'd find that most of those firms don't just donate their time with us. They'll fight each other over who gets to donate their time. And the result of this is twofold. My goal was I thought, you know, we can get a lot more bang for our buck. Sure enough, average case, every 10,000 we spend, we get 60,000 donated. So it's like the loaves and the fish. It's like multiplication, six to one leveraging of the resources. But what I didn't count on was the win-loss ratio. And that is if you look at nonprofits, they're fighting big monsters. That's why they were created. They're fighting industry or government or something really big. And so if they win 40% of their cases, they're really good. Our win rate now every year for 23 years in a row has been above 90% every single year. And this, it's because the body of Christ, right? If we have a case in Montana, our attorney lives in Montana. They're from the biggest law firm in Montana. When they go into court and look at the judge, they lost a tooth together in first grade, okay? We've got the biggest law firm in the United States. We can put together a dream team of the best lawyers in any community around the country within 30 minutes. And they finally get to use their talent for the body. And how beautiful is this, right? These people that could never afford this protection, okay? These lawyers that finally get to use their gifts. The result is victories that protect everybody in the body of Christ. It's exactly how the body of Christ is supposed to work. And so normally I would end now, and I would say, yeah, we've got, you know, a lot more cases, 700 last year, but we're winning. But then something started to happen about five years ago. I started to say, when I was speaking, I started to say, you know what, I think we might can change history. Um, things I didn't think possible, I, I think might be possible. And then about three years ago, I changed and said, you know, we are changing history. And what do I mean? Well, back, you know, about five years ago, we're nonpartisan. Whoever's in office, we're going to push them to be pro-religious freedom. And so we were preparing, how do, you, how do you do anything for religious freedom and advance that under a Hillary Clinton presidency? And then this Trump guy won. And we're like, okay, let's reevaluate. Now what do we do under him? We immediately saw 123 judicial seats, federal lifetime judge seats open. Very unusual. Very unusual. We thought, you know what? We can affect one case. But if we can affect these judges for the next 30 years, we can affect 
Hundreds and hundreds of cases. So we went, raised money, opened up the greatest vetting division to vet every single person who was being considered a judge so that we could put the strongest people for the Constitution and the First Amendment on the courts possible. And that's what we did. So I think I've got a picture, for example. Who's this guy with his hand up? Um, graduated top of his uh, law school class. I uh, went to work for a major law firm. Uh, did that, thought, you know, I want to do something more significant. So we went to work in the U.S. Attorney's Office as a federal prosecutor, putting away terrorists. Won an award for putting away terrorists. And then a new attorney general came in, Eric Holder, and pulled him off of some of his terrorist work to work on LGBT issues for the Justice Department. He said, you know, that's not why I came here. So he left. Where did he go? He came to work for us as one of our attorneys. And at age 38, he was picked to be a federal judge for the rest of his life. Okay? This is a guy who's brilliant. In fact, his case is now at the Supreme Court, a big case he just issued. The Supreme Court just took it. He's brilliant. He would rather die than ever turn away from the Constitution or his faith. We'll never have to worry about him. And this is who my grandkids' kids are going to go before. He's going to be there a long time. Who's the guy swearing him in? Jim Ho, probably the smartest attorney in the country, if not one of. He will probably be on the United States Supreme Court. And if he is, he'll be the first evangelical on the United States Supreme Court. He was our most active volunteer attorney, giving his time left and right on religious liberty cases. Okay, I could tell that story over and over and over again all across the country with all these judges. Judge Ka Justice Kavanaugh donated time with me 20 years ago on religious liberty cases as a young attorney. Okay? We have filled the courts with people who actually care about the Constitution and will defend religious freedom because that's their job. So that begins to change things. There are two religion clauses, a, an establishment clause and a free exercise clause. Both have a horrible case that have been in place for 50 years in one case, 35 in the other, that has caused great damage to religious freedom my whole life. Uh, and if you'd asked me five years ago, can you get rid of those? I'd have said not in my lifetime. I'm now watching both those cases being imploded, okay? Things I didn't think possible. And so let's take the establishment clause. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. What does that mean? We don't want there to be a nationally established church that we all have to support that then takes away from religious freedom. But 50 years ago, the Warren Court said, no, 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 no. It means more than that. It means separation of church and state. It means if you're offended, you can bring lawsuits. You can't bring lawsuits because you're offended, only if you're offended by religion. So our whole lives, we've seen attacks against, you know, veterans memorials with a religious symbol or a Ten Commandments monument or a nativity scene. Would our founders have problems with those things? No. It's because of this case. It's called Lemon, a really aptly named Lemon case. And so we had a case, the Bladensburg Cross. I think we've got a picture um, outside the Supreme Court. You can see that cross that was a cross that was put up almost 100 years ago by mothers who lost their sons in World War I, but the American uh, humanists came along and said, we need to tear that down because that's a cross and it's on government property. And at the Court of Appeals, one of the judges said, why don't we just cut the arms off the cross? That way nobody will be offended and we won't have to tear it down. So they ruled two to one unconstitutional. So we went to the Supreme Court and we said, you know, we're not just going to go for protecting this memorial because we're now counting the justices. We now have Gorsuch. We have Kavanaugh. I think we might be able to get rid of Lemon. And so we argued in the case, we want you to get rid of Lemon. 
It's caused horrible damage to religious freedom for 50 years. The court issued a decision just two years ago, seven to two in favor of that monument. That monument is still up, but more importantly, five, four, they said, we are not following Lemon. That is a huge, huge sea change. For 50 years, we've gone in this hostility to religion approach. We just turned. Now, we still have to build this out, but I'm telling you, everything has changed. Same thing under free exercise. There's a whole bad case under free exercise. And you might have heard of our Coach Kennedy case. I think we got a picture of Coach. This is a coach who was in the military, uh, uh, Marines, for almost 20 years, got out and made a commitment to God as he became a coach. That after every game, the first thing I'm going to do when we go to the center of the field and talk to the other team and slap the coach on the behind, say good game, I'm going to go to a knee and I'm going to thank God for the privilege of coaching these young men. That's what he did for seven years. Until they told him, if you go to a knee again, we're going to fire you. So what did he do? Well, he's a Marine. He went to a knee. And they fired him. And unfortunately for him, he lives in the Ninth Circuit. So he has to go through the San Francisco and the Federal Court of Appeals. And they said, coaches are not allowed to pray in public if anyone can see them. Even a spectator. So we went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court gets 9,000 requests a year. They only take 67. Okay? So... Not great odds. Well, they didn't take the case, but they said, but there was a statement attached by the four conservative justices. This is before Amy Coney Barrett made the court. They said, look, go back down. There's some facts you want developed, but we find this very disturbing. And if this comes back up to us like this, we're going to look at this case. So we go back down, goes back to the Ninth Circuit. What do you think they did with the warning shot they got? They doubled down. The, the guy who wrote the opinion said, my religion says that you shouldn't pray in public. And then he castigated Coach Kennedy for not sharing his religion. Excuse me? The, the federal judges don't decide what my religion are. We had 11 dissenters at the Ninth Circuit. And it went to the Supreme Court. And just four weeks ago, the Supreme Court notified us they were taking this case. And it will be argued in two months at the United States Supreme Court. This will be the first time in the history of our country that we've ever had the Supreme Court issue a ruling on a case regarding the rights of teachers or coaches with regarding their faith, their free exercise of religion, and our public schools. This is going to be a major precedent. So be in prayer. Uh, we, you know, I've been telling people this over the past few months. I really believe this to be true. If you watch at what's happening because of the judges and because of these cases, Every American is about to have more religious freedom than they've ever had in their lifetime. <clears throat> the only thing that could stop that is something really extreme like court packing. Uh, court packing, if you don't know what that is, is when you add justices to the Supreme Court just to get to the results you want to get to as a political side. It's a really bad idea, which most people realize, but it's worse than people realize. If you look at Venezuela, I think I've got a picture of the Venezuela. If you want to know what happened to Venezuela, they court packed, okay? When you court pack, the reason this happens is your courts are gone, okay? They're now underneath the political branch because if I'm in charge, I can just add however many justices I need to to take away whatever right you think you have, okay? So the Constitution is gone. And you think, well, is there a real effort on this? Yeah, let me show you a one-minute video to show you what was talked about and what we're dealing with.
President Roosevelt clearly had the right to send to the United States Senate and the United States Congress a proposal to pack the court. But it was a bonehead idea. You'll know my opinion of court packing when the election is over. Now look, I know it's a great question. I'll put together a national commission of scholars and I will uh, ask them to come back to me with recommendations as to how to uh, reform the court system. This is a live ball. Oh, it is a live ball. So we will figure out a way to get something done. Well, let's take a look and see. Everything is on the table. We're going to add five, six, seven, ten seats to the court. Well, I think everything's on the table. Everything is on the table. All of those matters will be on the table. All options are on the table. And as I've said, everything, everything is on the table. Presidents come and go. Supreme Court justices stay for generations. So religious freedom doesn't mean very much if your courts are gone. So we realized we had to do something about this. We created a website called supremecoup.com. We tried to educate people in all the other countries who had done this and what happened. And we spent $3 million educating people. The good news is, at least for now, we stopped this. But it's gonna, there are going to be more efforts at this. We have to educate more and more Americans that we can never allow this to happen. Um, but if we are stopping this... I'm telling you, the future is better than I've ever seen on religious freedom. Uh, it's just a matter of us being faithful. You know, a number of years ago, I was minding my own business, reading my newspaper, eating lunch, and I saw a picture of something I'd never seen, the senior citizens holding picket signs. And I thought, now that's unusual. They had been told that they couldn't pray over their meals in the senior center, that they couldn't sing gospel songs on the piano, that they couldn't have a Bible study at one of the tables once a week because that was separation of church and state, and that was a government building, that senior center. And so I, we had a young attorney just got out of the military who worked for us. I said, hey, I gave him the newspaper. I said, why don't you go see if we can help these people? And before I could finish my statement, he's like peeling out of the parking lot on his way to the senior center. <laughs> and he gets down there and said, look, we're the has-beens. We're the nobodies. We don't have any power in this town. There's these four people in the city council that control everything. We never thought anybody would help us, much less lawyers for free. So this young attorney comes back to me and he says, okay, this city doesn't deserve to be warned. They should be destroyed. And I said, no, no, we're a Christian organization. We're going <laughs> to send them a letter, you know, tell them there's this constitution thing they really ought to read. And they said in the newspaper, religion is not allowed in government buildings, and so we're not backing down. So we had a press conference. I had all the seniors behind me, and I did something I'm sure you shouldn't do at the end, uh, you know, which is, I said, does anybody want to say anything at the end of the press conference? <laughs> Well, at the end of the line is a guy with a cowboy hat, a bolo tie, a western suit, his only suit, and cowboy boots. His name is Barney, 77 years old. He said, I fought in World War II for these freedoms, and I ain't going into the corner to pray. If they want to arrest me, fine, long as it says what it's arrested for, rested for praying. He turns around and walks in the back of the line. About an hour later, I get a call from Fox News saying, their producer saying, we want the guy in the hat on TV. <laughs> So we end up on TV, on all the major stations. He ends up testifying in the U.S. Senate, which was his first plane ride. He'd been in the Navy. Um, and it was just an incredible, credible clients, credible case. We ended up winning a permanent injunction, never to interfere with them praying over their meals, never interfering with them singing their gospel songs, never interfering with them having their Bible study. But my favorite part was what happened after the case was over. The powerless seniors had beaten the four all-powerful city council members. So it's like a light bulb went off, and everybody in the city said, they're not so 
all-powerful after all. So they held a recall election, and they threw all four of those guys out of office. And about, uh, about two years later, I got a postcard from one of the seniors because she wanted me to know that she was now one of the new city council members. <laughs> and I thought, this is so typical. We think, what can we do? We can do whatever we want to do. We're the body of Christ. This is the United States of America. And that's in the, just one example. And so, you know, uh, I would say, you know, to you, what can you do? You're listening to this. What can I do in this, in this movement, this effort? Number one, you can pray, okay? Uh, when Coach Kennedy, when we go to the Supreme Court in two months, I hope you're praying for Coach Kennedy and praying for those justices, right? Number two, you can educate other people. If we're winning all these cases but nobody knows, what good does it do? But if instead you could tell other people, it's gonna embolden them to stand for their faith, to speak truth, to make a difference. And so one of the things I have, I think we've got a, a yeah, we've got a slide. If you text the word liberty, um, I think they're gonna pop it up, um, this next slide, it says text the word liberty to 474747. Um, so tech, just text the word liberty, 474747. It will give you a little link where you can sign up and you can get the emails every week, so once a week. So you'll know when Kennedy's happening. You'll know when the SEALs case is happening. You'll know when all these things are hitting and you can pray. And you can also take some of this stuff and go, we got a victory. Let me tell some of my friends about this. Let me spread the word so that people will be more bold. Um, the other thing you can do is live not by lies. I mean, this is the time we're in, right? We have got to be willing to stand and speak the truth, even if it costs us. And God's calling us to do that. And look, Gail Blair, the blind woman, what power does she have, right? But she stood. And the update to her case is, we won her case. She now is back in that park, sharing the gospel. And every three weeks or so, we get an email from her because she's so excited about somebody else who's just accepted the Lord and is gonna be in eternity with her. And the guy who turned her in, he's now going to her church. So I just encourage, you know, I've never been more excited about what I see occurring if we'll just be faithful. So thank you for the privilege of being with you. God bless you. Isn't it great to get some good news, you guys? <laughs> Amen. Will you guys join me? Let's pray for Kelly and his team, obviously on the front lines of this. Father, we just thank you for Kelly and Liberty First. We pray for all the attorneys. And Lord, we just agree together right now, praying for those Supreme Court justices and the spiritual battle that is waged behind closed doors and what is taking place. Lord, we pray that right decisions that honor you and uh, life and liberty would come out. Lord, we think of Roe v. Wade. We think of just the right to life. And Lord, we just ask that you would anoint godly people across this country and awaken your church to stand up for faith and liberty. And we thank you for Kelly and pray that you would strengthen him, protect him, and have your hand upon him and his life as he serves you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Light in the darkness, I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind.
And you've got truth for the taking But my heart won't be shaken If today be the day that I die Whoa, 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 whoa. Time's trouble. I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, 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 I will keep my heart seeking